Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. What's the likelihood of coincidences? The pure math and science folks answer with a resounding, very likely. They're quick to explain that seemingly unlikely events happen because of the vast number of experientially available possibilities. Our minds, they say, use chance as the excuse to explain what can't we can't comprehend, when the sensible reason is that coincidences are actually mathematically and scientifically predictable. Author and Buddhist teacher Sylvia Borstein describes calling a meditation center repeatedly hoping to finalize details of teaching there. Each time, as instructed, she asks for Joe. Each time, the response is the same. Joe's not here. After several days of this, exasperated, Sylvia says to the person who's answering the phone, do you think this is some kind of sign? Maybe I'm not supposed to teach there after all. Without missing a beat, the person responds, no, I think it's just that Joe's not here. In times that are more fraught than usual, in fearful times, it's natural to look for hidden meanings. Actually, we're programmed to look for patterns. Our ancestor's survival was predicated on recognizing predators and poisonous plants and remembering the way back to their caves. So when something just keeps happening to us or happens when we just happen to be looking for it, it catches our attention. A friend of life coach and author Martha Beck was going through a breakup and consulted a psychic. The psychic's opening line was, you're going through some changes. Martha's friend was hooked. Note to self, if someone says to you, you're going through some changes, they will always be right. And then just two minutes later, Martha's friend's eyes were drawn to a bird in flight. She said, it's like the universe was saying, fly away. I mean, could this not be a coincidence? Note to self, actually, yes, it just might not be a coincidence. Our minds are looking for patterns, but in spite of evidence to the contrary, I'm not willing to dismiss coincidences out of hand. Coincidences may just have a message for us. Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung had a term for a coincidence. He called it synchronicity. He believed that synchronicities were evidence of a unifying consciousness at play in the universe, creating physical manifestations of what's happening in our psyche. We can use them, he said, to better understand ourselves. 
I say when we pay attention and engage curiosity, especially spiritual curiosity, coincidences can remind us of just how deeply interconnected everyone and everything is. You know how much I love the question, not why is this happening to me, but why is this happening for me? What if coincidences are God's way of remaining anonymous? A South African school teacher once told Martha Beck that watching a wild elephant who was disabled interacting with her herd reminded her to include children with disabilities in her classes. Martha's oldest child has Down syndrome. She found the teacher's insight touching and deeply meaningful. Two hours later and several miles away, she was sitting on a rocky hilltop when that very same elephant dragged herself up the hill to the place where Martha was sitting. Martha says she simply stood there, trunk extended toward me as if in salute. Allegedly, statistically, this is not a remarkable coincidence. But spiritually, it had a profound effect on Martha. When we affirm that our fate is bound up with everyone and everything on the planet and that mystery and meaning are ours to engage, we are on the spiritual path. Pay attention. Tune in to your curiosity. As soon as I started thinking about this sermon, stories of coincidences began to appear everywhere. Waiting in a physically distanced line, I overheard someone with a big voice saying that theoretical physicist and cosmologist Stephen Hawking was born on Galileo's death day and died on Einstein's birthday. At the age of 80, Xue Fang of Chinese Jiangsu province saved an eight-year-old boy from drowning. It was a remarkable story in and of itself. But then it turned out that 30 years earlier, he had saved another child from drowning, the boy's father. Coincidences are not always so dramatic, but the dramatic ones are the most exciting and blow open the doors to all kinds of possibilities. Here's a poem I love by German-born American poet, teacher, and translator, Liesel Mueller. You'll hear historic references that you'll recognize, as well as some that are more obscure. Abelard, the French philosopher who married the philosopher nun Heloise, and heretically professed the innocence of a woman who commits a sin out of love. Tycho Brahe, the brilliant astronomer who lost part of his nose in a duel over a mathematical formula and later wore a prosthetic nose rumored to be made of gold. Betsy Ross, who made the first flag for President Washington, who was falsely said to have teeth made of wood. Mary Shelley, who wrote Frankenstein, and scholars in square hats, also known as mortarboards, 
agreeing with Jehovah's Witnesses that the world is coming to an end. You get the idea. Here you go. Liesl Mueller's Alive Together. Speaking of marvels, I am alive together with you. When I might have been alive with anyone under the sun, when I might have been Abelard's woman or the whore of a Renaissance pope or a peasant wife with not enough food and not enough love with my children dead of the plague. I might have slept in an alcove next to the man with the golden nose who poked it into the business of stars or sewn a starry flag for a general with wooden teeth. I might have been the exemplary Pocahontas, or a woman without a name weeping in master's bed for my husband, exchanged for a mule, my daughter lost in a drunken bet. I might have been stretched on a totem pole to appease a vindictive god, or left a useless girl child to die on a cliff. I like to think I might have been Mary Shelley, in love with a wrong-headed angel, or Mary's friend. I might have been you. This poem is endless. The odds against us are endless. Our chances of being alive together statistically non-existent. Still, we have made it. Alive in a time when rationalists in square hats and hatless Jehovah's Witnesses agree it's almost over. Alive with our lively children who, but for endless ifs, might have missed out on being alive together with marvels and follies and longing and lies and wishes and error and humor and mercy and journeys and voices and faces and colors and summers and mourning and knowledge and tears and chance. I love the idea of the endless ifs that have led us to being alive together. And that's the point, to pay attention, to notice connections, even when they appear utterly arbitrary, to fire up that spiritual curiosity, and so give coincidences their meaning. Not, why is this happening to me? But why is this happening for me? I'll close with one of my favorite coincidence stories. On the morning of January 10th, 1948, Marcel Sternberger caught the 909 Long Island Railroad train from his suburban home heading into New York City. Marcel, a native of Hungary, was a deeply methodical man. Five days a week, 50 weeks a year, he took the same train. But on that day, that one day, he diverged from his usual routine. Rather than going directly into New York City, he stopped in Brooklyn to visit a friend who was unwell, then boarded a Manhattan-bound subway for his Fifth Avenue office. Slipping into a just vacated seat, he noticed that the man to his left was reading a Hungarian newspaper. Marcel was not in the habit of speaking to strangers, but something prompted him to say in Hungarian, I hope you don't mind if I glance at your paper. 
The man, probably in his late 30s, responded politely, here, read it now, I'll have time later on. But instead of taking the paper, Marcel struck up a conversation with the man whose name was Bela Paskin. He'd been a law student when World War II had begun. He was conscripted into a German labor battalion and sent to the Ukraine. Later, he was captured by the Russians. When the war ended, he walked hundreds of miles to his home in Debrecen, a large city in eastern Hungary. Marcel Sternberger knew Debrecen well, and the two men spoke for some time about it. And then Bela continued his story. Arriving in Debrecen, he made his way to the apartment where he had lived with his parents and siblings. A stranger answered the door. No one had heard of his family. In a daze, he wandered away. Just then, he heard a child calling his name. The boy ran to him. It was the son of some old neighbors. Bela followed him home, where the boy's parents told him with great sorrow, your whole family is dead. The Nazis took them and your wife to Auschwitz. Shattered, Bela walked out of his city, walked out of the country, stealing across border after border until he reached Paris, from where he had managed to immigrate to the United States in October of 1947, just three months earlier. Let's let Marcel take up the story from here. All the time Bela Paskin had been talking, he says, I kept thinking that somehow his story seemed familiar. A young woman whom I'd met recently at the home of friends had also been from Debrecen. She'd been sent to Auschwitz. From there, she'd been transferred to work in a German munitions factory. Her relatives had been killed in the gas chambers. Later, she was liberated by the Americans and was brought here to New York in 1946 in the first boatload of displaced persons. Her story had moved me so much that I'd written down her address and phone number intending to invite her to meet my family and perhaps relieve this terrible emptiness in her life. It seemed impossible that there could be any connection between these two people, but I fumbled anxiously in my address book. There it was, Maria Paskin. I asked Bela in what I hoped was a casual voice, was your wife's name Maria? He looked stricken. Yes, he answered. I said, let's get off the train. At the next station, I took him by the arm and led him to a phone booth. He stood there like a man in a trance while I dialed her phone number. It seemed hours before Maria answered. We spoke for a few moments, and then I asked her where she had lived in Debrecen. I turned to Bela and said, did you and your wife live on such and such a street? Yes, he answered. He was white as a sheet and had begun to tremble uncontrollably. Take a deep breath, I urged him. Something miraculous is about to happen. Here, take this telephone and talk to your wife. 
He nodded his head in mute bewilderment, his eyes bright with tears. He took the receiver, listened for a moment to his wife's voice, and then suddenly cried, This is Bela! This is Bela! Seeing that the poor man was so excited he couldn't speak coherently, I took the receiver from him. Stay where you are, I told Maria, who also sounded hysterical. I'm sending your husband to you. He'll be there in a few moments. Bela was crying like a baby and saying over and over again, it's my wife. I'm going to my wife. At first, I thought I'd better accompany him lest he faint from excitement, but I decided that this was a moment in which no stranger should intrude. Putting Bela into a taxi cab, I directed the driver to take him to Maria's address, paid the fare, and said goodbye. Later, Maria Paskin told Marcel, when I left the phone, I walked to the mirror as in a dream to see if maybe my hair had turned gray. The next thing I know, a taxi stops in front of the house and it is my husband who comes toward me. Details I cannot remember, only this, that I was happy for the first time in many, many years. When we think of everything that had to align to make this extraordinary story end in joy, we might just consider entertaining the possibilities of coincidence. Beloved spiritual companions, Joe's not here, and we're always going through some changes. But there just might be a unifying consciousness at play in the universe. When we affirm our deep interconnection, that our fate is bound up with everyone and everything on the planet, and that mystery and meaning are ours to engage, we are on the spiritual path. The elephant raises her trunk in salute. The cosmologist is born and dies on other great scientists' birth and death days. A man saves a boy from drowning, then saves the boy's boy. And Bela and Marian Paskin are reunited. May we pay attention ignite our spiritual curiosity and ask not why is this happening to me but why is this happening for me speaking of marvels i am alive together with you what but for endless ifs we might have missed out on being alive let alone together. Amen. And now for our benediction, I invite you to put your hands over your hearts in namaste. I bow to the divine in you. Our benediction is from songwriter and singer Bob Frankie.
What can we do with our days but work and hope? Let our dreams bind our work to our play. What can we do with each moment of our lives but love till we've loved it away? Let us keep this faith, beloveds, and carry it on. The service begins when the service ends. Bless your hearts. I love you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.